Hello, this is Cindy Novotny, and I'm here to kick off another episode of My Secrets to Stamina. So for any of you new listeners, I am thrilled to have you join me. We're getting a lot of new people. It's so fun. And to all my loyal followers, welcome back. You know, since we launched this podcast, I've been talking about what my secrets are to living with no balance and loving it. But I'm getting some incredible feedback that this platform is helping people look at how to have their unique balance, not balance that other people think you should have. I love the fact that my listeners, no matter what role you play in life, you want to improve and you want to find ways to live your life to the to the real fullest. So everyone has a dream. Everybody's got a journey. And my goal is to help you be successful and live the life you want. They deem me the radical mentor and I've been really radically mentoring people. I've been on full steam ahead and I'm here to help you live your life without the standard definition of balance. And by the way, to have the stamina to do it all. So let's do this. AKA DJ Brian B, a great friend of mine. I am sure a lot of my listeners know him from the event space, from Engage and more. Brian is the real deal, a true gem, not only for his own industry knowledge, but with everyone he meets. And I, I sincerely mean this because when I first met, you know, Brian B, it was, he was like the voice of God in the back of the room. And now ladies and gentlemen, and you know, and then he would say, what walk on song do you want? And I'm like, whatever you want, Brian. I mean, you just go ahead and pick it. He, and I've worked with a lot of people that are not like him. So that's why I really promote the fact that he is the real deal. He gives back, he mentors, he has mastered the craft of DJing and puts on a hell of a show. He and his family have recently moved out of the Big Apple and his life continues to be a really busy one. He's a fellow road warrior just like me. There are times that we are crossing in the sky. I will be placing, you know, something on Instagram saying just left here. And he's like, wow, I'm just touching down. Today, we're going to talk about it all, have him share his secrets to stamina and advice for our listeners in the space we're in today. So welcome, Brian. Hey, Cindy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, we are thrilled to have you. And just that voice alone is fun to listen to, for sure. So, you know, many of our listeners may be not that familiar with you. I mean, we all know you. You're a celebrity in our world. (laughs) But we now have a lot of listeners that are from the corporate space uh, that aren't, you know, as is involved in some of the things you and I've been involved with, which is great because you work in all facets of this business, not just in, you know, entertainment, social, but in the corporate side. Mm -hmm. But Let's start by sharing your background, uh, your story, and how you got into this unbelievable world of music. Yeah. You know, I have to attribute a lot of that to my parents who, at a very young age, I want to say I was like three or four years old. They're like, you are going to get into one sport and you're, well, you'll try many sports, but we want you to fall in love with a sport, I should say. And we want you to also uh, learn a musical instrument. You can pick whatever you want. You can try as many different ones as you want, but we want you to um, do those two things. And I mean, this started at like four years old. And so I uh, had, my mom was a pianist starting off and she had uh, taught lessons and all that kind of stuff. And then my dad, believe it or not, was uh, a banjo player uh, of all things. And so um, I have two brothers by blood. And so when we all uh, were around this one, one is a year younger than me. So we, uh, my brother, my, my middle brother and I, myself, we had to pick the instruments first. So I went with piano. My brother went with guitar and I'm talking five days a week, 
four or five years old, we were doing two hour lessons at a conservatory for uh, many years up until about junior high school when finally I, my parents relented. But at that time, I didn't realize what kind of values were being instilled, but one discipline, right? Just being able to sit down and practice the craft. Um, Secondly, just challenges, like how to overcome some of those things. And so I really am grateful that I had that kind of upbringing to start with. When I got out of uh, high school, I really loved music. And so I wanted to do that full time. I joined a disco cover band where we would get booked on the name alone. The name of our band was Affirmative Action. So a lot of people would book us just on that because we were all Caucasian, but we had the Afros and everything that we would go to Hollywood because we lived in Orange County, California at the time. And so we didn't do private events then. We did the bar scene, which um, not really a newsflash here, but the bar scene does not pay well, especially when you have 10 members. So I was lucky to bring home 50 bucks a night, although we were playing, you know, three or four nights a week. It still wasn't enough to cover rent. And I realized that very quickly. So one of the venues that we were playing at, they were looking at bringing in a DJ. Didn't know anything about DJing from the technical standpoint, and I don't want to date myself too much, but this was pre-YouTube. So I was kind of trying to figure out how I'm going to learn how to DJ. But when I found out what the pay was, which was like five times (laughs) for one person, what I was getting paid amongst all of our bandmates, I said, I'll figure it out. So uh, I basically had a friend of mine mentor me on how to do it. My pay was... 350 bucks plus a salad from this venue that we were playing at. And the first night I came in, I didn't know what I was going to play. They'd never had a DJ there before. It was very much a open format kind of concept. And so I rented a U-Haul, had those kind of like those rolling um, bookcases full of vinyl. This is before CDs and and, and now MP3s kind of came in. And vinyl's back. I mean, let's be honest. Yes, Totally. <laughs> So the bar owner was like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is going to look cool. This is a great backdrop for you. But honestly, I just didn't know I was going to play because they'd never had anything. So that took off. I think it was a little bit of luck in the sense that there was nobody else competing with me in the area. So I kind of had it on lock. So, and it was so new that, you know, second weekend we had a line around the building. And so I did that for about two or three years. And then one of the patrons uh, from the bar was like, Hey, I'm getting married. I'd love you to DJ my wedding. And I said, Oh, I can do that. Not knowing what it was all that was going to be entailed. So I get into it. And I mean, I feel bad for that particular wedding. Cause I just, you know, fumbled my way through announcements. You know, I didn't have to do any of those formality kind of things. And at a bar, whereas now doing a wedding, it's kind of expected. So launched, uh, or I sorry, grabbed onto, a. um, a wedding company that essentially trained and mentored me in that. And fast forward, got picked up by Pioneer Pro DJ, who actually makes the the gear that a lot of DJs use and got taken on the road and was basically showing off the equipment to stores and bars and different places like that around the country. And at one point I was on the road for like six months straight. And I got to experience a lot of the US that I would never have been able to um, yeah. travel to on my own. So it was great learning. And that's where my love for jet fuel, like yours kind of came yes. into play at that point. I love it. You know, I think just a couple things right in this description of how you got started says a lot about what's missing today. And I just, before I go to my next question, I just, it just, the light bulb went on, you know, 
we're all hearing all this hashtag quiet quitting and, you know, I call it free range parenting and, you know, you know, you, you know, this, but the, 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 some of these parents these days, like, oh, you can do whatever you want. You just want to catch butterflies the rest of your life. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's fabulous. You know, we have to get back to some of the good old fashioned standards that your, your mom and dad said, this Mm -hmm. is what you're going to do because it did, you said it gave you discipline. And I think that's some of the problem of why we have people that are hashtag, you know, quiet quitting because they think they can just get by Mm -hmm. and you were raised that you just don't get by. You didn't just say, Oh, we're going to take piano lessons. Your, your parents created a foundation of that. And then that gave you that stamina that it takes to do what you're doing today. So, I mean, kudos to your parents on that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's something everyone needs to listen to. You just can't like have these kids and like free range chickens, let them just run around and <laughs> like, Oh, whatever and enjoy yourself. So I really appreciate that. So Absolutely. speaking of that transitioning into, you know, you are a successful entrepreneur and you've given a background of what it takes to get there. You work like hours and hours of blood, sweat and tears for 50 bucks, but you kept going and you positioned yourself to, to learn, but to be successful today, it's not easy running your own business. So share a little bit about, you know, what, what it takes, you know, to really do this and some tips you have for people on that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, uh, it's, there's some hard things to it, but I, at the same time, on the flip side, I also think it's never been easier to be a successful entrepreneur because of all of the tools that are out there, right? There's YouTube, there's so many coaches, there's Instagram, there's so many of these different platforms out there that you can kind of get out there. But what happens is we, a lot of times fall into kind of the imposter's mindset, you know, where we've got to, we look up to somebody. So we just kind of copy and paste. And I like how Seth Godin puts it. He says, be the purple cow, right? The, the cow that... It's not black and white. That is obviously they're doing something different. And for me, one of the things that I've tried to do is looking outside of my industry for principles that can be applied to my business. Because now I'm looking at successful places that have done things in another field that's worked. How can I write the playbook for my industry within the vertical that I'm in? But the the, the caveat there is you got to realize that in most cases, the ones that we look up to are the Amazons, the Google. and a, Honestly, for a small business like mine, I'm not trying to attract millions or even billions of users. I'm literally looking for, in my case, 25 events a year. So some of the strategies have to be with that kind of a lens that, listen, I'm not trying to, you know, multiply myself times, you know, uh, the, the biggest number you can think of. I just need to find my niche. But how do I create myself to be different? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I look at it that, and I love that. I love the purple cow and I, and Seth Godin's perfect on that because that was a whole a concept of why does everybody that would, and when you said imposter syndrome, I I've met more young people lately that say I have imposter syndrome. I don't really get that because it's like, just be you right. And, mm-hmm. and figure out what that takes. But I think what happens in the world of, you know, music or speaking or, Uh, being a leader is we think we've got to copy somebody else who's successful, but yet we really don't know what got them to that point. You see what I mean? Right. Because 
the grit that it takes. No one can can go back and become Brian B because that means I had to go back and like learn piano at four. <laughs> and it means I had to go DJ for 50 bucks at a bar where everybody was, I smelled like beer and cigarettes when I walked out. And, right. you know, I mean, even though you didn't, I, no one smoked. <laughs> but, you know, the idea is that you, you have to be able to go out there and, and push through the madness and push through the noise. And when you are an entrepreneur and, you know, I am too, and I have a whole team of people that I kept working throughout this crazy mess of COVID, mm -hmm. the people that take the biggest hit is the owner of that business. And you, you've either got the grit and guts to do it or you don't. And right. that's why when people say to me, oh, well, I'm going to go out of my own. I'm going to go start that. I'm like, good luck. Hallelujah. Have a good time. Because I used to be like even people that work for me that went out and copied me or tried to compete with me. It only it only made me get madder and be more determined that I was going to push farther ahead than they ever could. Absolutely. Right. So you're a road warrior. And I know you just said you love the smell of jet fuel in the morning like me. I mean, people think I'm crazy saying that, but I actually, that's why I really, when they say they're going to go electric too, I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. I love that. I love to know that you actually filled the tank on this plane. Yeah, exactly. um, I love your posts on Instagram, you know, you're jetting from one city to the next. So let's have you share some of your, cause you know, you're this guy that's out there. Everybody yeah. always asks, you know, how do you, do you spritz your face? Do you do all these different things? But, you know, what are your travel secrets that you do? And uh, I know just moving from the Big Apple, and I think you're in North Carolina. Is that right? I am. Yep. In I mean, Raleigh. Oh, how special is that? I just love North Carolina. I love, I love both Carolinas for sure. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm sure it's a little different with even getting, you know, some flights direct. Like uh -huh. out of New York, it's just, you know you got one of three major airports you just right. get to. And in, in Raleigh, it's a little bit different because I have a farm in Iowa, as you know, in a, in a place up in Northern Michigan. And it's like hilarious when I'm, you know, trying to get out of Traverse city, Michigan, and they're <laughs> like, Oh, it's snowing. I'm like, I know, but can't you just take that plane off? I mean, you know, heat the bloody runway. So yeah. give some of your secrets that you have. Yeah. I, um, so one of them, I was thinking through this question and I thought of it in two parts. One of like just the things that are happening now, because travel today is completely different than it was three years ago from the labor standpoint and everything else that's happening in the airline industry. So one of my biggest things that I harp on is margin. And so for me, it's taking the earliest flight, no matter what, uh, because once you get later in the day, that's when more delays can happen and you run the risk of, you know, missing an important meeting in my world, that would be playing an event. I try to give myself, if I can get in the day before I will, but if I absolutely have to come in that day, then it's taking the earliest flight, no matter how late the, the night before is. In some cases, I'm literally running from the event straight to the airport to head there. But I do that because I just don't want to risk uh, unnecessarily on getting to a certain location. So margins big. And then I listed some hacks. I don't know if these might be helpful for hacks. some of your listeners, but I love um, hacks. all right, well, I'll give you a few. And most of these, you're probably going to do know all of these, but I'll, I'll, I listed four here. One was um, I, I used to do this only for international flights. And now I do it for just uh, bi-coastal in the U.S. stuff now too, is compression socks. Now I know fashion wise, that's probably not the best thing to wear, but when you're going back and forth, um, I just have felt like health before fashion in some cases for me, at least um, 
I feel like I'm not on a plane for four or five hours when I wear those specific kind of socks and having those, especially if you're going international, it's, it's a must, but even doing it by coastal, I've found some great results from that, that I don't feel, you know, bloated or any kind of issues with feet things when you're having to be on your feet all day as even you could probably attest to that having to speak. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, the other couple of things that I had on my list here where one was, uh, this is an interesting one. I don't know if you know about this. This is something that I just have figured out is when I am packing, I always include a dryer sheet, which seems super weird. But what I do with that dryer sheet is I put it in my dirty clothes bag right. so that the rest of my suitcase doesn't smell. I uh, love it. So, and I found that's really worked well. So a dryer sheet would be another hack. Uh, and then the last one I wanted to give you, which I'm assuming maybe you know this one too, but a lot of people don't. The uh, car industry, just with gas and everything else going on, um, even early on in the pandemic when there was uh, a shortage of cars, uh, I came across Turo, which is an app that you can get, which is kind of like the best way to describe it's the Airbnb for rental cars. So these are personal cars that you're renting from somebody. But you can make it super convenient because, you know, I went to San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I was standing in the line, even as a preferred member for like two hours. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I vowed never, if I ever go through SFO, I'm always doing Turo, which is essentially they park the car in the parking garage. I'm out of there within five or 10 minutes upon deplaning. And it's just so easy. And you're probably going to save some money because you're not dealing with as crazy as the insurance stuff that you would have to get if you were to rent it from an agency. So those are a couple of things. How do you things. get the key to that? Like how do- They put it in a lockbox like you'd see on a, uh, so they, they take the window and they actually uh, lower it and then they put a lockbox on it and then they have a code that they give you. And so uh, you just take the key out of that that way. Okay. So, that's so cool. I love that. I, I didn't know that. That's so fun. Yeah, of course, I don't drive much. That's the problem. I mean, yeah. you know, no, but I, I, but I agree. You know, one of the things I am all about that early flight too. And I sometimes like you have ended so late and I, I would rather, and I've many of my team members do this. They will go to the airport hotel because if right. we're up, let's say you're in Chicago and we're ending, you know, and we've got a, a group that we ended at like seven, eight at night and maybe the client, then we do dinner with them. It's like 10, 11. We will go stay at an airport hotel so that we can be on that six o'clock flight. And it, it makes all the difference in the world. It's yeah, amazing. yeah, for sure. And I love that. And the dryer sheet, I used to remember that. I totally forgot. So that's a good <laughs> hack that I'm going to do immediately when I fly tomorrow. I love it. Uh, so let's, so talk, let's talk music now. The core of your life. Uh, you know, you've talked about what music means to you and, and, and what it means to you from the past, but how do you convey that? Because, you know, you really, and this is just for me, not really, I don't know music. I love music. Music fills my, I can't get up without having music playing when I'm putting my makeup on and all of that, but you do such a good job of conveying the right kind of music, these events that you DJ and making things so memorable. And I think that's a, that's a, a gift because I'm sure, and I'm just guessing, not everybody knows what they want. I'm sure they mm-hmm. say to you, you know, you might say, well, what's your favorite song? When people ask me that, I'm like, I have no idea. And, and yet I love to listen to all kinds of music. So how do you connect and, and make things so memorable? Yeah, I think it really comes down to the creative process. You know, for me, 
my client promise, whoever I'm working with, is that I want to create an evergreen musical soundtrack experience. So something that would be just as fresh 50 years from now as it is the day you hear it. So for me, that that takes on, you know, from client to client, a different uh, route that you would take. And I had two examples I was going to give you kind of uh, as I was thinking through this question. One is, you know, I did a, I think you probably were there with me, uh, that Engage conference in Dubai. Right. Um, I think it was right before the pandemic all hit. No, it was right before we were out there hugging and sweating and dancing and it was all good. And we all came back. Fine. Yeah. So when I was preparing for this event, I knew I wanted to obviously uh, pay homage to the location of Dubai and, and Arabic music. And so I started thinking through like, okay, that's not the stuff that I would play every day. I'm going to have to do some research. And I love that process. For me, it's more about that journey than it is the final product. The final product is is awesome usually, but it's the, it's the process for me that kind of fuels me, if you will. So I started looking on the platforms that we use here in the US, like, you know, Spotify and, you know, Shazam, all the different things to find some great Arabic music called some people, but I wasn't finding a whole lot. And so I thought that just seems strange that none of this would be on any of these music platforms that we use. And so after doing further research, I realized that there's actually an Arabic platform like Spotify. It looks exactly the same, but it's all in Arabic language. So I would open up that app and then listen to the songs, flag them, but they were all written in Arabic. I had no idea of how I was going to find these here to be able to download, to be able to have, and all those kinds of things. So I took my Shazam app out. I would play it on my computer, have my phone with me, Shazam it. It would convert it to what it says in English as far as the title and the artist. Which is good because you would really be nervous if you had no idea what right? it no, totally. And so like that legwork was a lot. I mean, we're talking about uh, probably 40 to 80 hours worth of time spent doing it for this particular client this way. But the payoff was that, you know, when I got there, you know, the planner who is local to the area there said, you know, you are playing as good or better than any of the local folks here. And for me, that was a huge compliment because I had put a lot of time and effort into it. And I just wanted to be not like looked at as the outsider that at least I had a little bit of an idea of what they wanted, but then it, it came in that, you know, I was just right on par with what they've been used to. So it was great from that standpoint. Oh yeah. And it was great. Now yeah. that I know you spent about 80 hours doing it, it was even better than great. Yeah. <laughs> right. And see, there's an example. Okay. This is a perfect example of how people think they can just copy. Like, oh, right. I'm going to go be a DJ. It's not that hard. You get up there and you just hit these songs and blah, blah, blah. Nobody would even know how much time it takes to curate that whole set of music. And, and that's, to me, that's the purple cow. That's what sets us apart. That's what says, look, I don't, I'm not just like everybody else. And, and here's some of the things I do, which I, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, you, and you said it before in your, your definition of, margins and flying and all of that. But, you know, DJs, you work, you're sometimes <laughs> the last because even if they have live music, you always compliment that because, you know, it sometimes the DJ comes in at midnight to do the after party, which goes until three or four in the morning. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's not like you just set up there and click on Spotify the next song. Right. You have to work at the, you know, and, and yeah. DJs like you are talking and come on, everybody, let's go and get that, get those donuts in the back and get that, <laughs> get 
the In-N-Out burger truck that just exactly. pulled up. I mean, and even though and people are drunk and running around crazy and you're trying to keep some, maintain, keep it going. So that to me, okay, I work hard for sure, but I'm not up until sometimes two or three in the morning catching that flight. So how do you do all those late nights, those early mornings mm-hmm. and you have a family, okay? Yeah. All yeah. right. Um, you know, let's talk about your sure. family and how you make all that work. Yeah. So my hashtag I use a lot is late nights, early flights, because that's typically my 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 go to there. But uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, I just uh, we have a two year old daughter, which that changed the game completely. Uh, it was our first. So, you know, my wife has always been understanding of my schedule. And from the time I met her, I've literally we've been on the road for, you know, every weekend, pretty much uh, for a lot of years. Uh, in fact, the pandemic was so interesting to me because that was the first time in since in our entire relationship that I was home for like two months straight. And it turns out that I really do love her. So that's good. And that I actually like her. So that's good that I found that out through staying with her for that long in a, in a box of a, an apartment in New York City. But to answer your question, there's really a couple of things that we have in place. The first is that no matter how late the event is, I always take the earliest flight home. Uh, my wife appreciates that even if I'm just sleeping on the couch to catch up to your point of, you know, staying up till three or four in the morning, sometimes that I'm there. And uh, it's changed now with the kid because I feel like a little guilty in some respects of just coming home and sleeping when I'm, uh, when I get there. So I've got to muster up the energy to at least make it to her nap time, <laughs> if you will, and be present. But the other thing is, is that my industry specifically, it's an ebb and flow. There's not, um, some, some months are really heavy. I'm about to embark on a crazy fall season. So what we've done is uh, as a couple, and now it's going to involve, you know, taking the, our little girl into consideration too, but we, we make this pack, we look at the schedule and we go, Hey, for the next three months, this is what this looks like. And we both want to have buy-in on the schedule and mine of hers, hers of mine. So that that way we're supporting one another instead of, you know, three months in, it's been a crazy couple of weeks or months and there's resentment that kind of builds up. So we kind of do like an all in pack that, Hey, for the three months we're going to do, this is going to be kind of crazy. This is what it is. Let's make sure we've got some things in place. And then following those three months, what are we going to do on the back end of that to kind of get back to normal or to reconnect in a way that makes sense? Is it a one week trip? Is it a weekend away? Is there a trip where she can come with me on? Those are some things as far as just us being one, if you will. And I'll give you one last thing as a, as actually app that I use to kind of, to your point of like keeping the time zones and all that stuff. Correct. There's one called time shifter. And oh if you're not- yeah. I, I see United sent that to us like a, a couple of years ago, but then I never used it. Yeah. I, I don't use it as much anymore because I can kind of do it on my own. But to, if you're ne- if you're new to traveling a lot, it lets you know, like, if you're going to be going to Dubai, as an example, it'll say, hey, to get onto their time zone, if you will, you should probably go to bed now or whatever the case may be. So if you're getting on a plane and it's a 12 hour flight, they'll kind of tell you where you should be to, to be on the right time. And that was a game changer for me having that app. Now I don't need it as much, but if you're new to traveling, that might be a thing that would help you. Again, it's called time shifter. But the the pack between the wife and I has been huge because we review it every three or four months. We check in, make sure we're all, we're all good. But that's been huge because we again I have a support system with that now. It's, there's no animosity, there's no jealousy or anything like that. Right. We're we're both in agreement on where we stand. Does that make sense? 
Oh, totally. And you know, I think you've heard me talk about this and I took my daughter on the road one week a month. So, you know, I've traveled like crazy. Her, yeah. Well, now she works for us and she's a grown adult and, and, <laughs> you know, obviously Lefty and I worked together, but we didn't for the first 10 years of my traveling. So that, that communication there are so many people, so many couples that even don't travel and don't communicate properly like that. So when you have that communication, like there's certain things I always, you know, the moment I land, I call him. We, I talk to him the minute I get into my Uber or taxi, I call him the minute I get to the hotel. Now he does have the find your friends on his phone, but he doesn't really know how to use it. So all my other people that like Carla, she knows where I am. So if I go get kidnapped there, don't call lefty, call Carla. Okay. She'll go, oh my gosh, she was last seen here. <laughs> you know, so we yeah. have that pack, but I will say the more in see, you don't have the benefit like me where I go for a week to one place, right. you go sometimes day one, day two, this, right? You're mm-hmm. jumping from city to city. But when you do have a weekend where you're going to be doing a wedding and it's a two, two or three day wedding, when you can take them and you use your miles, even when your little girl is tiny, it doesn't matter. That is the best thing you can do. And by the way, it'll be the best education for your daughter. It'll be right. unbelievable. But yeah. that's when you're going to be, it's not good if you're going to Philly, then tomorrow you go to, you know, New York. And then the next day you go to Tampa, that won't be quite as fun. But if you're going for a whole weekend, for sure. Right. Yeah. I yep. love it. So um, I'm going to pull it together because I'm going to ask you to end this with the fact that. I know giving back and mentoring fellow DJs is so important to you. And I, I love, you know, what you put on and I think it's DJ collective. Is that right? Kind of a, yeah, that, and then I got a podcast that I actually do too called the travel DJ blend. Yeah, exactly. And, and I love that because I'm trying to always give back and mentor. I'm mentoring so many young people in their twenties of, you know, just, just living and, and what they do. And so I love the mentoring, but what are you seeing people struggling with lately? And what is your best advice in this busy time for everyone, whether you're a DJ or you work in a hotel or you're a server or you're a, a nurse or a doctor, what are some of the things you're hearing and some advice? Yeah, man, I could spend two hours on this, but I'll, I'll, the one that came to mind is I deal with a lot of creatives. So for me, I'm kind of, it, which can differ from somebody who's just selling, you know, uh, stuff from a shelf, if you will. So creatives to me are those that are creating these one-off things, right? That you can't just get off the shelf. So for me, one of the things I've been seeing kind of come up a lot is people who are valuing and I mentioned it earlier, the end product instead of the actual, the work, the process, which is really the the differentiator. I mean, you look at any DJ picture, I'll use them as an example. Everyone's going to post people dancing on the dance floor. It, It becomes just like scroll content that you just, you know, but to me, the thing that differentiates is how did you get there? How did you, what were the songs that meant that had that happen? How was the research part of that? So that's going to look differently. And to go deeper into that, it's really conveying the heartbeat of the creative themselves. Like everyone knows what a Marcy Bloom event looks like, but not everybody knows who Marcy is. We do because we're in the industry, but her clients know exactly who she is because she's communicated that. And I just think there could be more of a focus on us as creatives 
conveying the heartbeat of who we are and what we stand for, not to get political or anything personal. I'm talking about the artistry side of things, right? right? So just that part of it, I'm finding that more and more people are feeling like they're just one of a number and they're not feeling like they that their voice is being heard. And it's really on them to convey that and to every conversation, not just on a social media post, but whoever they're talking to kind of conveying that heartbeat of who they are. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I really, I thank you so much because I could, we could go on and on. We could add two hours, as you said, (laughs) I just, I love your energy. I love your passion. I love who you are as a person um, and everything about you. So I can't thank you enough, Brian, for being on my podcast. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. So everyone, please join me for my next episode as I bring a truly remarkable person on, Isabel Klein. Many of you may know her from her exquisite event design company out of Colorado. We're going to talk about events. We're going to talk about how she makes it all happen. And we're going to take things a little bit deeper. Isabel recently lost her dear brother at a young age of 47. He was a successful restaurateur, and Isabel really wants to bring the awareness of mental health into the events and food and beverage industry to be the forefront of people's minds. Please join us, as it will be a very compelling episode, and I'm honored to have her join me. Thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll be back again.